welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 30 in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the evening service of Sunday the 6th of December 2009, entitled, The Fundamentals, Nothing But the Blood, Part 2. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 John, Chapter 1, Verses 1 to 10. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I'd like to open your Bibles this evening to the first epistle of John, Chapter 1. While you're turning there, I've already mentioned that, of course, we've been going through a series which is entitled Contending for the Faith. And tonight happens to be number 30 in that series. For some weeks now, we've been looking at some of the fundamentals, the foundational truths of that faith. And of course, we entitled our thoughts today simply nothing but the blood. Now, if you weren't here this morning, you can download that one off the internet. You can listen to it. I don't have time to preach it again and part two tonight. Basically, I'd like to just remind you of a few things that I said this morning First of all, that we, we live in a day when oftentimes preaching about the blood and singing about the blood make a lot of people feel uncomfortable. And of course, we find those that would want nothing to do with what they would call our bloody religion. But I said this morning that in a day when Sometimes whole denominations have rewritten their hymn books in order to remove the hymns. Some of the very ones that we sang tonight and this morning, the sing about the blood. When the market has been flooded with many New Age translations that literally time and time and time again remove the word blood right from the Scriptures when many are comfortable preaching and hearing about the influence of this one called Jesus, sometimes even recognizing the fact that he died and his death may have something to do with all of it, while at the same time removing the necessity of the blood. I reminded you, that in these days, we need to be contending for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. A faith in its fullness that includes the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. A day when we should not be ashamed to sing those great old hymns, what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I said this morning that I do not think that I would receive any argument from anybody at all of exactly what would happen to your physical body if we remove the blood from it. Anybody have any doubts? If we remove the blood from that body, what's going to be left? A dead body, right? Well, may I assure you that as we begin to look this morning, and I want us to look further this evening, that the same thing is true of our faith, of the spiritual body that we belong to. But folks, if we remove the blood from the faith that we hold dear, then we will assuredly be left with a dead faith. And we looked at some things this morning. Why? Why is this so important? Why do we need to talk about the blood? Why is it so vital Well, I reminded you, if I can find it here in my notes that I've already gone through, that in the Word of God, in the New Testament, there are some 290 references to the love of God. 290 times that we're told just how much that God loves man. But in that same book, in those same chapters, in those same verses, 
there's some 1,300 references to the atonement. Some 1,300 times that we're assured that salvation can be had through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is it so foundational? Why is it so important? We looked at three reasons this morning. First of all, we looked scripturally at because the blood equates to life. We looked in the scriptures where the scripture clearly tells us, but flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall you not eat? We find that the Bible clearly declares that the life is in the blood. Blood equates to physical life. You take away the blood from a physical life, you have no more physical life. But we also look, as we looked into the New Testament, and we look at that great chapter in John chapter 6, when Jesus declared that he was the bread of life. And of course, it was there that he declared that there is no spiritual life without the blood. It cannot exist. You see, it's vital because the blood equates to life. If we take away the blood, we take away the life, whether we're talking physical or spiritual. We look secondly at the fact that the blood effectuates the sacrifice. What do you mean by effectuating? Simple. It's that which makes it effectual. It's that which makes it effective for that which has been designed to do. In other words, we saw where the, the sacrifice is important. And many times, God gave many specific instructions as to how the sacrifices, where they had to come from, and how they be, had to be prepared, and how they had to be offered. But we saw both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that it was the blood that effectuated, that made it effective, that made it work for what it was designed to do. Without the blood, the sacrifice is worthless. The blood is necessary because the blood equates to life. The blood is necessary because the blood is what effectuates the sacrifice. And thirdly, we saw that it's the blood that establishes the covenant. We saw that the blood established the old covenant with God's chosen people, the nation of Israel, and we looked at that. We saw how it was the blood also that establishes the new covenant with God's children, the church, in the New Testament. We saw how that a covenant that is established by the blood is established forever. It's permanent. That a covenant established by the blood must be taken seriously. It great, brings great promises, and it brings great hope, but it also brings with it great responsibility, we find that without the blood, the covenant is worthless. It's the covenant that establishes. It's the covenant that seals it of blood, the blood that seals that covenant. Now, I want you to turn in your Bibles to a couple of passages that I simply did not have time to read this morning, and we want to read those first of all because they're so important, folks, and I know it's a lot of reading, but listen, listen to what God has to say to us here. You see, in Hebrews chapter 9, the Word of God declares, then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary, for there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the shewbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. He's reminding them of the Old Testament, of the Old Covenant. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always 
into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors or the sins of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing. Listen, what was all that for? Which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. But, boy, that word usually brings some fantastic things in God's word. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, this is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, he, Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. Nobody's will, nobody's testament is established, is brought into effect until after they die. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with the water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people. And we looked at that back in the Old Testament this morning, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined to you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Well, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And that is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. We find that 
the Scripture is trying to give us a clear picture here of what took place under the first covenant that was of necessity. It was of necessity established by the blood. And that just as assuredly the New Testament, God's new covenant with man, is only established by the blood. Not though the where that it has to be done year after year after year after year as it did with the old covenant, but that Jesus Christ himself, once for all, folks, he became the final Passover lamb. He was the final sacrifice that was efficient, Effective. That's why we call it the efficacious sacrifice. It was effective. Well, you know, I love that word propitiation. Well, he's not the propitiation for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. It was sufficient for all the sins of the world. Notice here, he goes on, he says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. For when would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshipers once purged should have had no more conscience of sin. The problem was the sacrifice was given for sins, but then there were more sins. And so there had to be more sacrifice. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. You see, in fact, what those sacrifices were doing was reminding them of the need for the sacrifice with well, a sacrifice that would take away those sins forever. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do thy will, O God. God took no pleasure in all of those old sacrifices. Jesus Christ came willingly to be that sacrifice. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hadst pleasure therein which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Can you understand and remember? Nobody since the first man, Adam, to the last one before this all comes to an end, nobody has ever had their sins forgiven by any other sacrifice. None of those sacrifices of the Old Testament took away their sins. They were showing their faith. It was symbolic of that which was to come, that which was necessary for them. But you've heard me say before, praise God. <laughs> That's why. That's why that when Jesus Christ, when they took him off that cross and they placed him in the tomb, the Bible says he went into Hades and he set the captives free, praise God. Then the blood sacrifice had been paid for them once for all. They were in paradise. They needed that sacrifice. Jesus Christ is the only means of salvation that anybody has ever been saved and ever will be saved. It was the sacrifice of his blood that was sufficient to take away sins. None of these other sacrifices ever took away one sin. And every priest 
standeth daily, ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, the Lord Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. How many of you are perfect this evening? <laughs> you are, you know. <laughs> you say, I don't see that when I look in the mirror, preacher. Boy, this preacher doesn't either. <laughs> Believe me. But in the Lord Jesus Christ you are. <laughs> When God sees you in Christ, it's the blood. It's the blood that covers all those sins where God doesn't even see them anymore. For by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having, therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, in the Old Testament, it was only the high priest that could enter into that most holy place. And he couldn't go in without the blood, without the sacrifice. It, that was the, the presence of God himself, if you would. But now, because of the sacrifice of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can boldly enter into the holiest. We can enter into the presence of God. Because the sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ was sufficient to take away your sins forever. You can face a holy God if you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You find that he goes on and he says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. How much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that has said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You see, we talked about this morning, about the importance of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and the danger of making light of it, of taking it lightly. You see, we see in these passages that it truly is the blood that establishes the covenant. Those promises would be absolutely worthless were it not established by the blood 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to tell you something else this evening that not only is the blood fundamental and foundational to our faith, because the blood equates to life, because the blood is efficacious to the sacrifice, because the blood establishes the covenant, but fourthly, because it's the blood. There eradicates sin. What do we mean by eradicating? Well, it literally means to pull it out by the roots. <laughs> you know, sometimes we can want to get rid of those unwanted things. We go around, we can cut them down and we can pull them, but if we leave the roots, guess what? It's going to come back again, isn't it? Well, to get rid of sin, the same thing. Sometimes people just want to kind of cut off the top or hide it over, maybe put some dirt over top of it and hide it. But if, if the roots are still there, guess what? It's going to spring forth again. It's the blood that can eradicate sin in our lives. It literally means to destroy utterly, to get rid of it completely. Remember our theme first, our text, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. I mean all sin. We find that it's the blood that brings remission, that brings forgiveness, if you would. I don't have time to spend all these. I just want to give you the importance. You'll recognize these words that I'm going to give you as some of those theological terms. Some of you will know full well what they mean, but some of you will probably understand that they are important to our Christian faith. You see, it's the blood itself that brings forgiveness. In Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 22, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It's the blood that brings remission. We find that that literally, if you would, is to separate sin from the sinner. It's to separate the two to where they're no longer one and the same. To send it off far away. Matter of fact, the Bible talks about it being cast into a sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. The Bible talks about it being put as far as the east is from the west. It's the blood that will bring remission, forgiveness for your sins. It's the blood itself that will bring redemption. In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 12, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Verse 15, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. We talked about that eternal inheritance this morning. Now, notice with me in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, the Word of God says, In whom? Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have redemption. How? What's the next three words in your Bible? Through His what? Blood. In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. There's that remission again. According to the riches of His grace. Just a couple pages over in your Bible in the book of Colossians chapter 1. And verse 14, again, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And then in 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You see, it's the blood that eradicates sin, that destroys sin, that separates the sin from the sinner. 
The blood brings remission, forgiveness. The blood brings redemption. The blood is what brings us the atonement. Again, without getting into great detail, that atonement, that which can make us at one with God. In Leviticus chapter 17 and in verse 11, the Bible says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. We find that in the chapter just before that, in chapter 16 of Leviticus, notice what it says there, picking up in verse 14. And he shall take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. He shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord and make an atonement for it and shall take of the blood of the bullock and of the blood of the goat and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. He shall sprinkle of the blood upon it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. And basically, even under the Old Testament, the symbolism, the picture of the new in the New Testament, even there, it was only the blood that would bring atonement for the soul. And of course, praise God, it's only through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that that atonement can be given to us forever. Do you know that it's also the blood that brings justification? Atonement at one with God. Just justification, just as if I'd never sinned. In Romans chapter 3, notice what it says in verse 21, Romans chapter 3, picking up in verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Believe me, you could never be justified for your sin except for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I give you this one finally. The blood, you see, all of these things, the remission, the forgiveness, the redemption, the atonement, the justification, the sanctification, all these are the theological terms that is separating the sin from the sinner. This is how that we can stand before a holy God because that sin is no longer being held to our account. And in all these ways and all the different ways that you look at it, never, ever, ever can that sin be done away with. Can it be eradicated in any way other than by the blood? We find that in Hebrews, where we were reading, in Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 12, the Word of God says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Do you know 
Again, we've talked about that word sanctification before. It has to do with being separated, doesn't it? It has to do with being set apart. That's what it's all about, being set apart from the world, being set apart from our sin, being set apart unto Him, praise God. Only by the blood can that take place. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, the Word of God says, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Folks, I'm saying to you, don't be embarrassed to be part of a faith that is unashamed to declare the importance of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We said it wasn't just any sacrifice. It was His blood sacrifice that was required, that had to be. It was the blood that made the sacrifice efficacious. It was the blood and the blood alone that can eradicate sin from your life, that can separate you from the sin that you'll be held accountable for if you face God with it. And may I give you this final thought in closing this evening? You see, it's the blood that equates to life. The blood that effectuates the sacrifice. It's the blood that establishes the covenant. It's the blood that eradicates sin. And you should like this last one. It's the blood that emancipates the soul. You like that word emancipate? You know, I can still remember, you know, back in, in, in school, you have all these things that you have to memorize and memorize and memorize and memorize, and you wonder how in the world are any of these things ever going to do anything for me in life? And one of the things that I remember was the Emancipation Proclamation. Anybody know what the Emancipation Proclamation was? That was when the proclamation went forth to do away with slavery. <laughs> but all those that had been held and bound in slavery, that was no longer legal. They were free. The Emancipation Proclamation. You see, the, to emancipate means to release from bondage or slavery or any physical or spiritual oppression or authority, to liberate, to set free. I'm saying that it's only because of the blood of Christ that your soul can be emancipated, that it can be set free from the bondage and slavery that it has to sin to this world. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, well, I'm going to have to buy a new Bible. These pages are just starting to go every which way. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 13. The Word of God says this, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh, are brought near by what? What's it say there? The blood of Christ. You see, that's what brings you near. That's what brings you near to God. It's only because of the blood of Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, what we just read there earlier, notice again in chapter 10 that we're reminded there beginning in verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He hath consecrated for us through the veil that is to say His flesh. And we read on down again, we find that, Brother Steve, the thing that sets us free, that liberates the soul, that allows us to know the nearness of God. You see, sin separates us from God. Sin is that barrier that is there. But the thing that'll emancipate you, that'll set you free, that'll allow you to, to know the nearness of God, to be near to Him, is the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. That's the only thing that can bring it about. 
Turn with me to the book of Revelation. These are the last verses that I want to read to you this evening. In Revelation, first of all, in chapter 1 and verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, to him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Just a few pages over in Revelation chapter 5. Notice in verses 9 and 10, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You know that in the future, as we look forward, and we've just got through going through weeks of looking at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that millennial kingdom that will be set up. Do you know that the only reason that you'll be able to rule and reign with Him on this earth is because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who's taken away your sins. And then in chapter 12, chapter 12, and verse Seven. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought, and his angels prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him, how? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and to the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Folks, <laughs> you know the greatest protection you have now and forever is the blood of Jesus Christ. Old Satan can't get through that. <laughs> That's why you can get into all kind of issues, but our issue is simply this. C.I. Schofield in his, his head that was responsible for the study Bible, and he's got some good things and bad things in there, but this is one thing that he said that was really good. C.I. Schofield said, it's not blood in the veins, but blood on the altar. <laughs> it's not blood in the veins, but blood on the altar. You see, Jesus Christ placed His blood on the altar, on the mercy seat for you. Scripture knows nothing of salvation by the imitation, the influence of Christ's life, but only by that life that is yielded on the cross through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we're talking about contending for the faith. I'm saying that if you have tried to partake of that faith in any way, any way, through all of your best intentions, through all of the great prayers and all of the great religious works, if you've tried to partake of it in any way other than through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, you see, can I say this to you this evening? You don't get saved by accident. You don't experience the new birth and not know that it took place. 
Now, I'm not one that says you got to know the, the time on the hand and the date on the clock, but I, I believe this with all my heart, that you'll know that it took place. You'll know that there was a time in your life when you recognized that you were a sinner. You, individually, personally, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You recognize that when you look at yourself, maybe you didn't look so bad against all those other people. All have sinned and come short, not of the glory of people, but of the glory of God. When we match ourselves against Him, we come to recognize we're sinners. The wages of sin is death. No other way. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, it's not something magical. And it's not something that is such theological depth that even these young people, these children here this evening can grasp and understand. I've sinned. And sin means death. I'm separated from God because of my sin. You as an individual must humble yourself before that God and cry out for mercy. You can ask for that forgiveness. Remember, again, I, 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 don't, I don't say this, well, I don't say it to, to be contrary. I realize people do things with the best of intentions. I'm not even so keen on a lot of these printed sinner's prayers and whatnot. See, I'm not so concerned about whether you pray the words that I want you to pray or not. For with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. What I'm concerned about it is that you recognize yourself as a sinner and that you humble yourself before a holy God and that you seek forgiveness. You cry out for mercy only because of what Jesus Christ did for you, because He shed His blood. Only because of that blood can you be saved, can you have salvation. He could have died a thousand times over, but it took the blood in order to make that sacrifice effective. Without the shedding of blood is no remission. You don't have to know a lot of theological terms. But folks... I say a statement that I opened with. If you take the blood out of our faith, we'll only be left with a dead faith. I know people aren't comfortable with it a lot of times, but it's the only thing. Can we see in all of these things how important are these things? We find that it's vital. And I am encouraging you this evening that if there's never been a point in your life, I don't care how religious you've been or not been, I don't care what you've said and done religious and all of those things, if there's never been a point in your time that you simply have humbled yourself before God and asked for forgiveness of your sins, not because of the new leaf you were going to turn over, not because of all the changes you were going to make, not because you were going to try so much harder, but solely because that Jesus Christ died upon the cross and shed His blood to atone for your sin. Have you ever done that in your life? That's the only thing. You can do all the religious things in the world. That's the only thing that will assure you an eternity in heaven. If you've never done that, you know, we're not here to try to twist your arm and get you as a, a part of our church or a part of our group or anything like that. Matter of fact, don't get mad at me. But quite honestly, if God don't want you here, I don't want you here. <laughs> we can be friends and talk and smile and do all kinds of things, but I believe it's Jesus Christ that's building His church. And I believe that His church is visible in the local church, and it's Him that's building this church. And I only want what God is building here, not what me or anybody else can talk people into doing. This evening. Do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, we're not going to twist your arms if you don't have that assurance this evening. If you've got questions, you know, you don't have to leave here like that. There's myself and there's deacons and there's others here that more than happily will take God's Word and try to answer those questions, even 
pray with you if you want someone to pray with you. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian, but you know. You know you haven't been living for God as you ought to. You've been walking at a distance so far off. You need that sweet fellowship. You need to know the nearness and the presence of God in your life. You know there's something there that's hindering that, that you need to let go of, that you need to deal with yourself. You can do it. I can't do it for you. Don't be ashamed, folks. May we never be ashamed as Christians and as a church to declare nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can take away your sins or my sins or give us any hope for the future whatsoever. Father, we thank you for our time together this evening. And Lord, I know we've covered over a lot of things and we've done it quick. And But Lord, the main point that we're trying to look at here this evening is that we might recognize the importance, the necessity of the blood of Jesus Christ. That, Lord, we can't do away with it and we can't be ashamed of it because it's the only thing that can change men's lives, the only thing that can take away their sins. So, Father, we pray this evening that you'd work in the hearts of each one. If there are those that are here that need to be saved by your Spirit, may you convict them, may you show them that right now, and may they come to, Lord, accept that and do something about it in their lives this day. And Lord, if there are those here that are walking afar off that their relationship is not what it ought to be, may you speak to their hearts and may they be receptive. May they change that right here this evening. And Father, for every child of God, we all have our imperfections, our struggles, and our battles. Lord, may you help us this evening to be strong, be willing to stand up and be soldiers and contend for this faith that was once for all delivered. Lord, not just to be happy enough to know what we're supposed to believe, but, Father, that we know what we believe. We know why we believe it. We're willing to stand upon those things not because it's the teachings of man, but because it's the foundations that you give us in your word. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. <music> 